On that day, the announcement to Jerusalem will be, Cheer up, o Zion. Cheer up, Zion. Don't be afraid, for the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty saviour. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. Thank you, Leon. Well, good morning, and it's great to be sharing with you this morning. If you've joined us for the first time, we are, as you've already heard, in the middle of our campaign, The Purpose Driven Life, and uh, we are looking at this big question of what on earth am I here for? What is the purpose of my life? What, what's my significance? And in a sea of different messages and advertisements, compliments, criticisms, dreams, goals, pressures, we're taking 40 days to shift our focus back to what God says about us and how God sees us. Last week, David kicked off our series looking at some big questions, some big ideas, that life is not about us, newsflash, that um, it's actually all about God and that what drives our life sets us up for eternity. And this week, we're looking at this big statement of you were planned for God's pleasure. I was going to use a whiteboard, but I wanted a bit more room and I, I needed reasons to procrastinate from preparing for my sermon, so I did something else. But um, you were planned for God's pleasure. And uh, as we look at that, we find that the Bible affirms this. Revelation 4.11 says, God says, you, oh, sorry, it says of God, you created everything. And it is for your pleasure that they exist and were created. Or Psalm 149.4, the Lord takes pleasure in his people. Hopefully you have been following along with our readings. And I want to start by uh, reading the intro to day eight, which is today's reading. I, I loved it. It says this, you were planned for God's pleasure. The moment you were born into the world. God was there as an unseen witness, smiling at your birth. He wanted you alive, and your arrival gave him great pleasure. God did not need to create you, but he chose to create you for his own enjoyment. You exist for his benefit, for his glory, for his purpose, and for his delight. Bringing enjoyment to God, living for his pleasure, is the first purpose of your life. And when you fully understand that truth, you will never again have a problem with feeling insignificant. It proves your worth. You are that important to God that he considers you valuable enough to keep you with him for eternity. And what greater significance could you have? You're a child of God and you bring pleasure to God like nothing else he has created. The Bible says because of his love, God had already decided through Jesus Christ, he would make us his children. And that was his pleasure and purpose. Um, one of the things I love about the purpose-driven life is that it comes out with these statements, these, these big ideas. And rather than kind of uh, bringing out these rationalizations or these reasons why you should believe it, it says, you're on this 40-day journey. Here's something that is a spiritual truth. Just try believing it and live out of it and see what happens. And so this first simple truth that's the purpose of our life is that, that God, you are planned for God's pleasure. God enjoys you for being you. Not because of what you can do for Him. Not because of how well you're achieving a set of rules and, and, and whether or not He's happy with your performance. No, He's happy with you being you. 
Now, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you'll probably agree with that statement. But I question whether many of us are actually living out of that. Because it's, it's a simple truth, but, but if we did, we would have such a certainty, such a confidence, such a security that nothing could shake. Are we living out of that? If not, it gets us to question, are we happy? Are we, are we um, accepting God loving us for us? On the board here are the bunch of topics that we're looking at this week. And um, we find the first um, topic, your plan for God's pleasure, that kind of covers the whole week. And, and, and uh, it starts out then, the smile of God, God's approval of you is the goal of your life. Not people's approval, not my approval, not your approval. God's approval, the smile of God is the goal of your life. It leads us, as we're called to a heart of worship, to surrender to Him. We're, we're called to become best friends with God, to be in relationship with God and to develop that relationship. We're called to then live a life that worship, that pleases God. And finally, it, it finishes with this question that, did I? Five. I kind of summarized both of them together. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, then we get to this big question, which is, uh, what about when God seems distant? We all get to things in life that are difficult, that uh, we struggle with. What about when, when God doesn't feel like He's there? Now, this question up here is really this identity question. It, it's really, how does God see me? And how do I see God? It's, it's a question of identity. And when we get the identity question right, everything else fits into place. When I get the identity question right, the way I relate to God fits into place. I get, I get God right, it fits in. When, when I get the identity question right, the way I live, worship, how, as we'll see later on, Rick Warren de- defines worship as living in a way that pleases God. And so all sorts of areas of our life are worship. Am I living out of that? Well, if I have the identity question right, if, I, if my identity is secure in God, everything else fits into place. The way I spend my time, the way I spend my money, the way I prioritize things, everything is flowing out of that. And ultimately, when we get to this question, it actually fits. We get an answer, or at least we, we find ways that we can answer that. But if we get this question wrong, it all falls apart. We start, our priorities get messed up. The way I relate to God is out of compulsion or guilt or shame or having to try and feel good enough. And we, we can't answer that question either. So we need to get this first question right. How does God see us? How do we see God? And Rick Warren suggests we, we start with, you are planned for God's pleasure. How do you see God? For a lot of people, they see God as an angry God or um, an absent God or maybe just a God that's disinterested Maybe at some point they, they thought that there was a God and they had an experience of that and it was real, but then life happened. And, and, and so now if we were to ask them, how do you see God? They're like, I don't know because, yeah, things have happened and I, I'm, I'm confused. Maybe that's you. But in our series, we're going, actually, no, you were planned for God's 
pleasure. God has made you to be a people for himself. He's made you to love you and to live loved and then in response to love him. And this, this relationship is the vessel through which God is transforming the world. As we read, as Leon read before, this, this idea in Zephaniah, for the Lord God is living among you as a savior and he's taking delight in you with gladness, with his love. He will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. Did you get that? God delights in you. He's singing over you. He, he wants his love to calm your fears. As I was thinking about this, uh, I, I remembered a quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a Welsh, Welsh theologian. And um, he tells this story where uh, he was walking down the street one day and he saw on the other side of the street was this father and his son. The son was like, like five, a, a little kid. And, and uh, as the father was walking along, the son was running ahead and he's looking in all the windows and he's on this adventure in his own little world. And then at some point, the son turns around to the father and just runs back to the father. And the father opens his arms and picks him up and just wraps him in a hug. And it's so clear that the son is loved. And, and this dad is just like, he hugs him and then he puts him down and the son gets back to his adventure and just runs ahead again. But, but Martin Lloyd-Jones asks us, did the dad, did the father love the son more when he was hugging him? No. Did the, son, did, the, did the father love the son less when he put him down and he ran ahead and was in his own little world? No. The, the father's love for the son was based on the son's identity. It was based on who the son was. And in that, it didn't matter whether the son was in his arms or not. It didn't matter whether the son was mucking up or not. It was based on the son's, the child's identity in relationship to the father. And it's exactly the same with God. God's response to us is based on who God says we are. And that identity is based on what Jesus has done. What Jesus did for us made us children of God. And now what God says about us is fixed. It's objective. It's not going to change. The Father's response is always going to be love. The Father's response, everything God does, is an expression of love. Now, I think we actually struggle to believe that. We probably say we believe that, but I think we struggle with that for a number of reasons. Some of, sometimes it's because we, we um, project our experiences of our own father onto God or our own parents. Um, sometimes, yeah, whatever our experience has been, we project that onto God. And if that's the case, we need to come back to the Word of God, which says God is for us. He's a Father who is not against us. He's a good Father who does not let us go, who doesn't abandon us. Or maybe our response is, okay, well, God is like that, cool, but, but I'm messed up. I've made bad choices. I'm not that innocent kid anymore. Doesn't, doesn't God hate sin? Well, yes, God hates sin, but He hates sin because He loves you. He hates sin because he loves you and he hates what sin does to you and, and to the potential that he's placed in you. And so we come back again to that sense that God's response to us is based on his acceptance, on his pleasure, on his smile, on us, based on what Jesus has done. You were planned for God's pleasure. Third reason I think we struggle with this is how we regularly talk to God. I was looking at how I pray recently, and, and I realized a lot of my prayers are, God, would you just 
help me to do a better job at this? Would you help me to, to pray more? Or would you help me to love you more? Would you help me to serve better? Would you help me to just do a better job at the high school? Or would you help me to whatever it is? And I realized, like, even though it's a good thing to ask God for help, what I was unconsciously doing is going, if God could just help me be a bit better, then God would be happy with me. If I could just reach this standard, then God would be happy with me. But no, what if God's smile, God's approval of me, God's acceptance of me as the beloved of God is completely based on what Jesus has done? What Jesus, what God said about Jesus, God said, you're my beloved son. You're my child in whom I'm well pleased. What God says about Jesus is now said about us, and that is based on our identity and not on our performance. And if we get that, that God delights and is smiling at me for being me, that I am loved separate from what I do, separate from my performance, separate from how well I follow a set of rules, I'm the beloved of God. How much time do we spend sitting in that? Just sitting in his delight. What if the one thing that God wanted first from you was not a better prayer life, not a better service, or not a better um, giving, or better attention, or better work, but actually just to be loved and to sit in that love? Sitting in his delight, because when we live loved, we live love. Which leads us into the topics of the rest of the week, which is when we start out in God's pleasure, we're not only called to live in God's pleasure, but for God's pleasure. We live in His acceptance and His love. We live in God's pleasure, but we also live for God's pleasure. Um, Rick Warren talks out, as I said, worship is anything that brings pleasure to God. And so it's when we surrender ourselves to Him. We start to, to reorient all of our lives into this core identity of, I'm the beloved of God. We change how we live, how we trust, how we, how we love others. It changes our priorities. It changes how we use our abilities and our gifts. We find that God's relationship to us is, is, is out of being a friend of God. It's not just um, out of like some demand. It's actually God wants all of us because he's our father and he loves us and he wants to have a relationship with us. We find that it starts to change how we see others. Uh, I was sitting in uh, my car on Wednesday and thinking about some, some things I was going to talk about here and I saw someone walk by that I'd been a little frustrated with in the past that um, they just had some things that, that ground on me a little bit and then I suddenly realized, if God sees me in his smile, in his approval, simply because he planned me for his pleasure, that other person, he's living in God's smile too. God, God planned him for his pleasure, for, for God's pleasure. And so it changes the way we see things. It changes our response. So your plan for God's pleasure, the smile of God, living for God's pleasure is the goal of your life, which leads to how we live has to be out of worship. It's not about us, remember. It's about God. Our response is for God's glory, which leads to then our priorities are this friendship with God out of that, out of that sense of God loves me for me. Therefore, I want to live into that identity and live out of that identity. But then it leaves us with this question. What about when God seems 
distant. We all face that in life. And I think Rick Warren puts it really well in a little video that we're going to play that um, addresses this question. dry spell. You've got the blahs. You, you, you just don't feel God's presence. You feel God's a million miles away. You feel like your prayers are just bouncing off the, the ceiling. Well, if that's ever happened to you, congratulations. You're normal. Did you know that sometimes God actually removes the feelings in order for you to learn to trust him by faith rather than by your feelings? I remember one time when I was a, 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 a young man, I was a young preacher and I was speaking in a church for uh, several nights, and it just seemed like the spirit was dead there, that nobody was paying any attention and nobody was interested in what I was saying. And I was, I was so discouraged. And I, I didn't know whether I was supposed to fight it or to accept it. I didn't know if I was supposed to give in to it or if I was supposed to resist it. And I got out on my knees and I said, Lord, show me what to do when you're distant, when I don't feel your presence. And I remember I got up, off of uh, uh, the ground where I'd been kneeling, and I was looking through the pastor's library, and I saw a record. Some of you are old enough to remember records, and I pulled it out, and it was a sermon on how to help your church grow. Now, I wasn't even a pastor at the time, but I thought, I'd like to help my church grow. So I asked the pastor, would you play this record for me? And he said, sure. And he put it on, but he put it on the opposite side by accident. And on the back side of that record, on the wrong side, was a sermon on discouragement and dry spells. And that pastor said something I've never forgotten. He said, you don't determine a man's greatness by his talent or his wealth or his education, but you determine a man's greatness by what it takes to discourage him. What does it take to discourage you? One little word of criticism and you want to give up? Maybe God seems distance in your, in your life right now. Hang on. You know, I live by the Pacific Ocean and I've learned that the tide goes out but it always comes back in. And this will happen in your life if you'll trust him. Enjoy reading this chapter 14, When God Seems Distant. Yeah, a good, uh, good reminder. And I uh, hope, I'm, I'm not going to spend too much time answering that, that question, but hopefully as you get into the book and have a look at day 14, it does get us to think about, ah, are my priorities on seeing God and living for God? And if that's the case, if my identity is in the fact that I'm the beloved of God, God is pleased with me objectively because of what Jesus has done, if I'm living out of that, then we're called to lift our eyes above our circumstances, above the challenges. And my calling is to fix my eyes on Jesus, to remember who God is and who I am in him, no matter how I feel. If we lived out of that understanding, I reckon we'd deal, deal with the, the question a lot better. If we lived out of that, that sense that God's for me, then, then it would change our response. Is it going to get easier? No. <laughs> Is this difficult? Yes. But it shows that everything God does is an expression of love. Now, I think the challenge is that we spend more time living out of trying to ask God for things, trying to, to, to step into being like trying to please God rather than just living 
in his, his satisfaction, his, his finished work, his, his grace because of what Jesus has done. And if we were satisfied in that, we would be able to answer. But we need to practice that. It's something that we don't just um, pull out when things go wrong and go, it's going wrong, but at least God has accepted me. No, we need to practice and, and train ourselves and make it a habit that the first response we come to is, I don't know what God is doing right now, and I don't know where it is, and I don't even feel him, but I know that I know that I know that God is for me, and that he planned me for his pleasure, that this is not an accident, that God has a plan, and that everything he does is an expression of love, no matter how I feel. Is that a tough challenge? Absolutely. But when we get that identity question right, everything else falls into place. And it's a challenge that God calls us to. You have a purpose, you are planned for God's pleasure, to live loved and then to worship Him. It's not about you, it's all about God. And when we get that identity that is so concrete, that is so certain that God is constant, we have a security that can get us through when God seems distant. When we live out of that, we can find that God has given us a purpose, and this is purpose number one. We'll find over the next few weeks there's a whole lot of other areas which God has given us as purposes. But um, my prayer for you is that you would live out of that identity of being the beloved of God, that God is pleased with you no matter how you feel, and that even when God seems distant, you would know that He is for you and not against you. Let's pray. Lord, we know that Life throws a whole lot of things at us. And we know sometimes those are really difficult and you feel distant. But we thank you that because of what Jesus has done, you have given us an identity that is so secure, that will not change. It's based on, on Jesus taking my place so that I can take yours. And Lord, we pray that in this week we would remember that our purpose is that you planned us for your 